I love this time of year. I really do. I love Christmas. And if you were here earlier this week, we were able to celebrate some wonderful Christmas Eve services. Had an incredible worship team. Man, and PG just brought the word in an awesome way. And we had Josh, who was providing some really cool kids elements for us. And then we had the candlelight service at 7. So I love Christmas Eve, but I really love the new year. New Year is a really just fun time to, to kind of look back at what happened in the past year and to also look forward to what God's going to do in the year to come. And, and you know what? The new year can kind of be a benchmark through which we examine our lives and, and an opportunity through which we're able to, to say, you know what, God, this is something that I want to see you do this next year. And for many of us, the new year, though it's not anything magical, provides us with an opportunity to have a fresh start. The new year is a fresh start for us. But again, it's not anything magical. It's just a, it's just a moment when we can say, okay, the calendar's changing. One, one year's passing and a new one is coming. And a lot of us will make New Year's resolutions. And in your outline, we provided a space for you to write down maybe what a New Year's resolution would be for 2020. You know, some of us would say, oh, you know, this year I just really want to get back in shape. Some of us would say, oh, you know what, this year really want to get into a small group. Or, or maybe I want to spend more time with family. So if you don't already have a New Year's resolution, I want to challenge you to, to think about it, pray about it, maybe think of a goal that you could set in 2020. But because we're going to have some fun today, you ready to have some fun? Good, y'all are awake. Y'all, y'all partook of the coffee bar. That's wonderful. We're going to have some fun today. So if you don't have your New Year's resolution, I went ahead and did you guys a favor. I got a list together from the handy-dandy research department known as Twitter, and we're going to read what some people wrote are their 2020 New Year's resolutions. So if any of these just resonate with you, feel free to write them down. One person wrote, in 2020, I'm going to switch my username to password and my password to username to make each a lot harder for hackers to figure out. So if you're having problems getting hacked, maybe that's an opportunity for you. Number two, in 2020, I'm going to stop buying worthless junk on eBay because QVC has better deals. <laughs> now, this is, came from someone that I don't know on Twitter, but I just want everyone to know that I'm pretty sure our student pastor, Dane Miotov, wrote this one. Don't want to start any rumors. But this Twitter user wrote, in 2020, I'm going to build biceps by increasing reps of Twinkie curls to three sets of 15. So again, I don't want to spread any rumors, but I'm pretty sure Dane wrote that one. Number four, in 2020, I'm going to buy new clothes that are big enough to account for next year's holidays. That's some next level thinking. Number five, in 2020, I'm going to pay off my credit cards every month in full. 
with my other credit cards. Dave Ramsey didn't come busting through the walls here. We're good. Okay. Number six, borrow things more often. Return them less often. Seven, claim all my pets as dependents on my income taxes. I don't see anyone complaining about that one. Number eight, one Twitter user wrote, I want to be more assertive, but only if that's okay with you guys. Number nine, my goal for 2019 and for 2020 is to accomplish the goals of 2018, which I should have set in 2017 because I promised I would do them in 2016 after I planned them in 2015. I think a few of us, if we aren't dyslexic, could follow that enough to relate to it. And then finally, number 10, one person who maybe we should be a little concerned about wrote, in 2020, I'm going to start whispering in random people's ear, don't let Michael eat the custard. If that was you that wrote that, we would like to see you at Guest Central following the service. Plano Police Department has a gift for you. <laughs> but anyhow, those are just some random, goofy New Year's resolutions that we're able to find on Twitter. But in reality, most of us set some sort of a goal, like I said earlier. In fact, it was about five years ago, six years ago, when I was in college at the University of Oklahoma. Yes, I'm in mourning. We'll just get over that right now. When I was a junior at the University of Oklahoma, I said, you know what? This new year, I want to do a better job of eating right, exercising, getting in shape. And for me, who had Dr. Pepper for like every meal, that was a really big deal. And I started this really big life transformation and shift to where I said, you know what, I want to be healthy, and I want to be in shape, and I'm going to start taking steps towards that. And so that was a New Year's resolution that I set. But again, you know, you have your own. You have your own goals. And I want you to hear me say that New Year's resolutions, or even just any sort of a resolution, that that is a good thing. Personal improvement, self-awareness, self-care, those are all good things. And I believe that the Bible even speaks to that, that those are things that we need to do. But a lot of our New Year's resolutions, if we're just being honest, have to do with me. I want to lose weight. I want to get in shape. I want to get my debt under control. Whatever it is, again, those are not bad things but they have to do with me. And guys, one thing I've learned in the years that I've had with walking with the Lord is that life is bigger than just me, right? There's a world around us that God cares about. And so as we look forward to this new year, I want us to know that man, it's not only a good thing to set goals for ourselves, but to set goals that go beyond me. And this morning, I chose a, a chunk of scripture that God has used in my life a number of times to just kind of think about, and it's just something that we can look at to help us set some goals as we look forward to 2020 that I believe will outlive us and, and that will reach beyond me. So if you have your Bible with you, I want to encourage you to open up 
to Mark chapter 12. Mark chapter 12, and if not, it's on your notes, and then we'll also have it on the screen here. But as you open there, man, I want to tell you kind of a little bit of a setup for what's happening in the story. So Jesus, back during his ministry and in his time, Jesus would often get challenged by this group called the Pharisees. And that's kind of a really confusing word for a lot of us because we don't like think about Pharisees too much anymore. But the Pharisees were, were a group of religious leaders and a group of teachers who thought that they had everything all figured out. And to them, Jesus was a threat. Jesus was someone who was challenging their way of thinking, who was challenging the people to, to not necessarily give in to the way that they thought or the way that they felt. And, and so the Jews um, who were part of this Pharisee group, they really did not like Jesus. And so what they would do is they would try to trip him up, and they try to make Jesus look foolish. And they'd ask him these really, really confusing questions. And, and so that's just a little bit of context for where our story picks up. But in Mark 12, 28, we read, one of the teachers of the religious law was standing there and listening to the debate. So Jesus had already been talking with this group of people. And he realized that Jesus had answered well. So he asked, of all the commandments, which is the most important? Now, what this guy is asking is, Jesus, you, you seem to know a lot. But of all the things that we need to do, because the Old Testament says that there are a lot of commandments, and then also the Pharisees came up with some extra ones, he says, of all these commandments, which is the most important? And he's thinking to himself, ha, got him. He's not going to have an answer for this. But in essence, what he's really asking is, what does God want from me? What does God want from me? What, what does God really value? And again, his heart was to challenge God or, or to challenge Jesus. His heart was not asking a genuine question. He was trying to trip Jesus up. But he asked this honest question, what does God want from me? And, and I think if we're being real with ourselves, that's a question that a lot of us have asked, right? What does God really want from me? And see, the Pharisee that asked this question, this teacher, he was asking, you know what, Jesus, what do I need to do? Which is the wrong question. Because in reality, while his focus was on the motions, Jesus cares much more about our hearts. So the Pharisee was focused on the motions but Jesus cares about the heart. As we look forward to the new year in 2020, I think that, that's a very honest question to be asking ourselves, is what does God really value? What does God really want from me? And you know what? If you haven't had that time to, to step out and to ask yourself, what does God want from me in 2020? I want to encourage you in the next few days to go somewhere quiet, to get alone with God, and to say, God, I want to know what you want from me in 2020. As we continue in our story here, we see what Jesus says. 
Jesus replies to this question, the most important commandment is this. Listen, O Israel, the Lord our God is the one and only Lord, and you must love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all of your soul, with all of your mind, with all of your strength. So again, the Pharisee's trying to trip Jesus up. He thinks, hi, I got him. But Jesus gives a very intelligent answer. He says, what God really values is to love the Lord your God with all of your heart, with all of your soul, with all of your mind, with all of your strength. And so the first greatest commandment, if we're really breaking it down, is to love God. That's the first greatest commandment, to love God. Now, if we're just being honest, I know that that does not sound hugely profound, right? We talk about loving God all the time. That's something that is a key tenet of the Christian faith, is loving God. So, for us, that sounds like a really simplistic answer, and maybe even borderline a cop-out. But Jesus packs a lot into these few words that he said here. He says, to love God with all of your heart. It's the first commandment. Love God with all of your heart. And for us, the way that I want us to think about it is the heart is kind of our will. The heart is the center of our being. In Matthew 6, 21, Jesus says, for wherever your treasure is, there your heart will also be. So at the center of your heart, or at the center of us is our heart. And so that's kind of our will. That is the core of what makes up Cody or what makes up you. And so God says that I want you to love me with all of your heart. But he also says I want you to love me with all of your soul. Now, the soul and the heart may seem kind of like very similar things. And in fact, they are. And we'll talk about that in a second. But... Jesus says, love me with all of your soul. And he says, the soul is responsible for our spiritual exercise. So think of the soul as being your emotion. Now, I'm not saying emotion so much as happy or sad, but essentially the the faith that we have and the practice that we have in our faith, that that bears evidence in how we treat other people, that that bears evidence in how we react to things. Because ultimately our hope is in Jesus Christ And the way that we see the world is through that. So the connection that we have with God through our soul, that that is played out in the way that we think, in the way that we feel, and in everything about us. So when I say the soul is like our emotion, think about it not so much in the simplistic sense of emotion, but in a greater sense that that we're in that deep connection with God. And then he also says to love God with all of your mind. And a way that we can think of mind is through loving God with our intellect. Now, we'll kind of pause here and think about that. For us, I think that's maybe, if we're just being honest, where it maybe starts to get a little dicey for us. So say, okay, God, you know what? I'll love you with the center of my being. And I'll love you with my soul. I trust you for my salvation. But then he says, love me with your mind. And loving God with your mind means that you submit the way that you think to God's word. 
Now, that sounds nice on paper, and I think we, most of us would probably acknowledge that, okay, yeah, I can, I can do that. But no, I'm saying, when things don't make sense to you, and God says, hey, I want you to do this, even though that doesn't seem to make sense with you, or that doesn't seem to connect with the way that you think, that you choose what God wants over that. And I think in this room that there are a lot of personal stories of people who've said, you know what, I've chosen to do what God wanted me to do over what made sense to me, and I saw God's faithfulness in that. I, I have no doubt there are countless stories of that in this room. But for me, I can tell you a very specific moment where that happened to me. When I was 18 years old and really had been walking with the Lord for a few years at this point, 18 years old, um, had already been accepted into college, already planned what I wanted to do. I planned that I would go be an engineer. Now, my family's in this room, and they could tell you I would have been an awful engineer. The bridges would have collapsed. Things would have exploded. Let's be really glad I didn't wind up being an engineer. But I, I said, you know what? I, I want to be an engineer. I want to go to college. That's what I want to do. Be an engineer. Make a lot of money going to be great. Let's live the American dream. And all of those things are, are fine. I have no doubt there are plenty of engineers here in this room. But that was what made sense to me. But that wasn't what God wanted for me. At a very clear moment in my life, God at 18 years old said very clearly to me, you know what, Cody, you're going to be a pastor one day. Now, I grew up in church. I had a lot of respect for pastors. I was very involved at my church at the time. And, and I had no problem with that, except that just wasn't what I planned for my own life. See, I, I just charted out in my mind, like, oh, but, you know, man, I, I want to be successful. Like, you know, I want to be able to provide for a family, all these other things. And, and being a pastor just didn't really seem to make sense with that plan that I had. It just didn't seem to fit. And I'll just be honest, at first, whenever I heard the Lord say that to me, my reaction was, well, I probably ate something weird because it really felt like God wants me to be a pastor. And I genuinely just was like, yeah, this will blow over, but we'll kind of play along with it. But no, over the next few weeks and months, God just continually reminded me that I'm an idiot and that I needed to listen to him. Because at that time, I was teaching in children's ministry at my home church, and I was just kind of, you know, doing lessons with the kids. And randomly, people who had no idea what I was wrestling with would come up to me and say, wow, you know, I could really see you being a pastor one day. I was like, well, that's funny, because God kind of told me the same thing, too. So that happened multiple times because, again, I'm, I'm a little stubborn, and God knew that I needed some subtle reminders that I was trusting in what made sense to me, and I was trusting in my own intellect, and that I wasn't submitting the way that I think to him. And so finally, after several weeks of wrestling with this, I said, okay, I'm going to start taking a look at it. And I'm going to start seeing, you know, if this is really what God wants me to do. And man, let me tell you what, I, as I 
surrendered to that even though it didn't make sense to me. I started realizing that, okay, who God made me to be, the, the ways that he's gifted me, the, the person that he built me to be, that that actually really makes sense as a pastor much more than it ever would have as an engineer. So now, what I'm not trying to say, and, and hear me say this, God's will for you is not to become a pastor, not every single one of you. That, that was his will for me. God has a different plan for you. I, I don't know what his plan is for you. And, and maybe you don't know what his plan is for you. And, and the new year is a really good time, again, when you can take some time aside and just pause for a moment and say, God, what do you want from me in 2020? God, where do you want me to go? And I believe that that is something that God honors every single time. He may not answer it the way that you think he will, because that, that's what happened with me. He may not answer that prayer the way you think he will. But man, I promise you that if you stop and with a genuine heart say, God, I want to know what you want from me in 2020, that God will answer that prayer. And then the challenge, coming back to the mind, is to then submit our way of thinking or to give our way of thinking over to what God says. And man, that's a hard one. Because it's tough to say, okay, this makes sense to me. This is just what I want. This is what I need. And having God say, no, actually, here's something else. And to surrender that to God. So Jesus says to love God with all of your mind. And finally, he says to love God with all of your strength, to love God with all of your strength. And a way to think of what loving God with all of your strength looks like is to love God with everything. So think of it as the heart, soul, and the mind. Just, just make a, a little ball in your mind, heart, soul, and mind, and then just wrap it in this cord of strength. And that's what Jesus is saying, is that you need to love God with everything. It ties it all together. But see, you know, you can kind of dive these apart, and I kind of break down some different ways of thinking. You know, the heart is the will, the soul is the emotion, the mind is the intellect, the strength is everything. And I don't want us to separate those in our mind. What Jesus is saying is that you need to love God completely. Love God completely. And man, you know what? That is a hard thing to do. That's hard for me, I'll just be honest. Because again, sometimes, especially for me, I like to trust my own instincts or trust the way that I think. And I think if we're being honest, that's a struggle for a lot of us. But Jesus says, I don't want just 75%. I want everything. I want you to love me completely. And there's a lot of ways that you can do that. And, and we'll kind of dive into that here in a second. But... I just want to make sure before we go on, we understand that God doesn't just want our leftovers. God wants everything. He wants every single part of you to be in love with him. And when we fail in that, there's grace because you know what? We serve a loving and a graceful God. And so I hope you know that, that if you fail in loving God completely in this new year, that God's grace is there to cover that if you have a relationship with Jesus Christ. 
but we are to love God completely. And then Jesus continues in the story. There was another commandment. Jesus says, the second is equally important. Love your neighbor as yourself, for no other commandment is greater than these. So the second commandment is love others. We have love God, we have love others. Now, the word neighbor, let's just kind of think about that. Word neighbor. The Bible uses the word neighbor a lot. A lot of different ways that the Bible uses the word neighbor. But I want us to kind of think about our neighbor as really just anyone that God has placed in our little circle of the world. So not necessarily literally our neighbor, although it could be. But think of the neighbors being someone who's just kind of in our circle of the world. You know what? It could be someone that you meet, you know, getting your morning coffee. It could be someone that, that you exercise with. It could be someone that for students you go to school with. Man, whoever that is, God has placed specific people in our lives for a reason. I know yesterday my wife and I were talking about this. Um, there's, a, there's a poke restaurant that we go to because, yeah, we eat poke. Um, there's a poke restaurant that we go to, and there's someone that we've really gotten to know there. Um, a, a lady that's a manager, and every time we come there, she just comes and will talk for like 30, 45 minutes with us and just unload, you know, about what's going on in her world and telling us about her family and just telling us everything about her. And man, you know what, my, my wife, who's a very, very kind and intentional person, um, she says, you know what, I think we need to keep coming back to this place so we can develop a relationship with this person. And for me, I'm thinking, I just exercised, I need to eat, let's go get food. But my wife instead is seeing this as an opportunity to, to love someone and, and to be a listening ear for someone who clearly needs one. And, and so that's just a way that we can love one of our neighbors. And, and we've been there now two or three times and have just kind of gotten to build a little bit of a relationship with her. And through that, we hope that she'll be able to see and hear the hope of Jesus Christ. So that's just a small example. Man, you know what? There are people every single day that I think we often overlook that God has put in our world that we can show his love to. So we have the love God. Now we have the love others. And as I was kind of thinking about this love others, love your neighbor I think of the story of the Good Samaritan. You know, it's one of the most popular stories in the Bible. Story of the Good Samaritan, where this guy says, you know what? Uh, he, he asked Jesus after Jesus tells him to love his neighbor, another teacher of the law, the Pharisee. He asked Jesus, well, who is my neighbor? Again, trying to trip up Jesus. Now, again, for some of us, that may be a genuine question, who is my neighbor? because I feel like we don't really know our neighbors anymore these days. But for this Pharisee, he's trying to trip up Jesus. He's asking him, who is my neighbor? And I'll kind of summarize for you the story of the Good Samaritan. I'm sure a lot of us know it. But basically, Jesus answers this question, who is my neighbor, by saying, okay, so imagine that you're going on a little journey here. Imagine you're going on a journey, and this guy gets attacked, gets attacked, gets beat up, gets robbed, is left to die by the side of the road. 
And let's say a priest comes up to him. Now, as you would imagine, the teachers of the law probably thought, okay, you know what, this priest, surely he'll stop and help him. But Jesus says, no, no, the priest was too busy getting where he needed to go, so he just kind of stepped over the guy and just kept on his way. So this guy is lying there bleeding, he's lying there injured, he's been robbed. And then Jesus says, okay, then this next guy comes, uh, a religious scholar. He comes and sees this guy on the side of the road, and he thinks to himself, oh man, that doesn't look good. Well, sure hope somebody stops to help him, and he steps right over the guy, goes on his merry way. So two people have already seen this guy's need. They've already seen that this guy has been injured. They've already seen that this guy is hurting. But neither of them, in spite of their great religious importance at that time, thinks, oh, well, I actually have a responsibility to help that guy. And of course, as the name suggests, then a Samaritan comes, someone who is from a different ethnic group at that time, and helps the man up, takes him to an inn, pays his bill, cleans him up, and says to the innkeeper, I want you to care for this guy. If it costs anything, I want you to cover it. So this random guy, random guy, says, wow, there's a need that I can meet. He helps this guy up, and he takes care of him. And I just want us to read the first few verses, or the last few verses, rather, of what Jesus says in Luke 10. And so after Jesus tells this riveting story, he says, Now which of these three would you say was a neighbor to the man who was attacked by the bandits? The man replied, The one who showed him mercy. Then Jesus said, Yes, now go and do the very same. So who was the neighbor? The neighbor was the guy that saw a need of someone in his world and met it. The neighbor was the one who showed mercy. And I just want to make this really, really, really simple for us. Being a good neighbor and loving our neighbors and loving others, it's as simple as this. If you see a need, meet it. If you see a need, meet it. Now, I think a lot of us can hear that story of the Good Samaritan and can think to ourselves, oh, those terrible two people that just walked right on by that hurting man. Who would do such a thing? In reality, I'll just be honest, there are needs that I probably overlook every single day that I see in the world that I overlook every single day because I'm too caught up in what I need to be doing or where I need to be going or what's going on with me. And again, it's not a bad thing to want to take care of yourself and to care for yourself. But if I'm so focused on me, I wind up missing the world around me. And Jesus says, you know what? Man, there's so much more than just you. Man, love God, but also love others. Be a good neighbor. Show mercy. If you see a need, meet it. 
And man, I was kind of thinking about that this week, of just examples, even here in our church, of people who see needs and meet them. And I was thinking, you know, this next year, we're going to be talking a lot about local peace and loving our community and loving this Plano and Frisco and Allen area well. And I'm going to brag on Cheryl Pfizer real quick. Cheryl said, you know what, I, I have some medical training, and we have a medical team that I get to work with here at LifePoint. And, and there are some ways that we can use our medical team here at LifePoint to address some real needs in our community. So that's one way that, that someone in our church, a group of people, are being good neighbors. Because they say, hey, you know what, we're uniquely qualified to address this certain need that we have in our community, and in the name of Jesus Christ, we're going to do that. And then I even think about, you know, a few weeks ago, we had the ministry fair that Marty put on. And we had all of our different ministries, you know, Stephen's ministry, student ministry, kids ministry, and then my teams, you know. We, we had a ministry fair where we were promoting all of our different ministries. And we had people that every week came up to our booths and said, you know what? Like, yeah, I, I really enjoy working with kids. That's something I can do. And they saw a need, and they met it. And then I even think about, you know, I, I have the coffee bar team here at LifePoint, which hallelujah, because I'm a caffeine addict, so I'm really glad that we have that team. But we have the coffee bar team, and we have some people that said, hey, you know what, I can really make an awesome cup of coffee, and I can provide a smiling face, and, and I can help greet. And they said, that, that's something that, that I can step into, and that's a way that I can contribute in our church. So those are just some small examples, even just right here at LifePoint, of ways you guys have been good neighbors to this church and to this community. Then you also think about, man, I know people in this church who have gone out of their way to take care of the homeless in LifePoint. They've said, wow, you know, there, there's all these homeless that are in Plano, and man, we always just see them, but, but man, we should really do something about that. And they found ways to show God's love to the homeless. So it's as simple as if you see a need, you meet it. If you see a need, meet it. That's what it means to love others. We'll see how the teacher reacts here. The teacher of the religious law replied, Well said, teacher. You have spoken truth by saying that there's only one God and no other. And I know it is important to love him with all my heart, with all my understanding, with all my strength, and to love my neighbor as myself. This is more important than to offer all the burnt offerings and sacrifices required in the law. Without diving too deep, I think it's fair to say that this teacher's heart was changed by Jesus' reply. Because while he was so intent on tripping Jesus up, and while he was so intent on making Jesus look like a fool, and asking Jesus this confusing question, Jesus says instead, no, I'm going to tell you God's truth in a way that you've never understood it before. And he says, I want you to love the Lord your God with all of your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, with all your strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. And clearly from the teacher's response, it kind of clicks with him. He says, I get it now, I get it. So imagine that this light bulb has just gone off in his head. Jesus acknowledges this teacher's heart change. He finishes the story by saying, Jesus, 
when realizing how much the man understood, said to him, you are not far from the kingdom of God. So Jesus acknowledges, hey, if you can get that down, that what God really values is to love the Lord your God and to love your neighbor as yourself, man, you're not far from the kingdom of God. So as we look forward to this new year, as we look forward to what really matters in 2020, man, love God. Love others. And again, I know that that's not the most profound thing to say, but I believe with all my heart that if we really do that as God's church and as the people of God, that if we really do that, 2020 is going to be an awesome year. If we really love God with everything, completely, if we really see needs in our community and meet them, that God will not only do awesome things in your life, I believe God will do awesome things in the life of this church, in the life of the community around us, and that we will see people on fire for Jesus Christ. Isn't that exciting? Do you want that? I want that. So in closing, I want you to know that loving God is my purpose. You know, at LifePoint, we say that we are a purpose-driven church. We have all these different steps that, that we talk about, commit, connect, serve, share. What it means to be a purpose-driven church is that we have steps through which to love God and to love each other. And man, as we look forward to this next year, and as we continue in the next few weeks with Pastor George and our sermon series of running the race, man, I want you to know that, that running the race is not a sprint. It's a marathon. And if you've ever run a marathon, you'll know that, you know what, there are going to be some miles that you crush and that you're just feeling amazing, and then there are going to be some miles that don't quite go so well. But it's a race that you continue to run until it's finished. And so we'll be talking a little bit more in the next few weeks about running the race. But I want us to all ask this question as we look forward to the new year. What kind of race do I want to run in 2020? Are you in for just a little bit, or are you in for the long haul? And I want to challenge you here this morning to be in for the long haul. And ways that you can do that are by spending time in God's Word, and making that a priority in your life. Building relationships with your neighbor, whoever that may be. And in fact, I'll even go one step further. I want to challenge you to write down the name of two to three people that you want to pray for and intentionally look for opportunities to share the gospel with. Because I think if sometimes we just say, oh yes, there's a whole world around me, and we never really like narrow that down to specific people, that that makes it really, really hard to truly love our neighbors well. So I want to challenge you to write down the names of two to three people 
that you're gonna pray for and that you're gonna love this year in the name of Jesus Christ. The number three, when you see a need, I wanna challenge you to meet it. And there are a lot of ways that you can do that both inside the church and in the community. And if you're saying, well, you know what, I, I wanna meet needs, I wanna help, but I don't know how. We have an incredible serve ministry here at LifePoint that would love to get you plugged into that. So for running the race in 2020, if that's your goal, is if you're saying, hey, I'm a follower of Christ and I want to run that race well, those are three challenges for you. But if you don't know Christ and you're here this morning, I want to let you know that I am so glad that you're here today. I really am. And I hope that you're able to take something away from today's message. But my challenge to you, if you're here today and you're just being honest and say, I don't really know about all this God stuff, I don't really know how I feel about all this Christianity stuff, my challenge to you is, man, come talk to one of us in the back. We have a prayer team that meets right back here after service. Come talk to one of them. And I'm sure that they would love to tell you more about who this God is that we serve. Then finally, if you don't have a church family, One of the first steps that I want to challenge you to in running the race in 2020 is get involved in a church. Not just join a church, but man, truly commit yourself to this church. We're crazy. I'm just going to tell you that just straight up. I dressed up like an elf a few weeks ago. It was insane. But if you're not part of a church family, guys, we would love to have you here. We would love to have you be part of our church. But that's my challenge to you in 2020, to be in for the long haul, not just the sprint. And I believe that God will do awesome things in your life. I believe that God will do awesome things in the life of this church and in the world around us. Let's pray together. Father, we love you so much. And God, we're so humbled by the hope of Jesus Christ that we have. And God, I just want to thank you for your word that we're able to study and that we're able to take some practical life applications from. And God, I just want to pray that as we spend time this morning um, just reflecting on what you've done in our lives and what we've seen you do in 2019. God, we just pray that we'd be able to see you do more in 2020. God, may you pour out your blessing upon us, upon this church, and upon the community around us. And God, we pray that your goodness would overflow as we love you with everything and as we love the world around us. God, you are so good. And we recognize that with worshipful hearts and attitudes here this morning. God, we love you. We give you this in Jesus' name. Amen.